We need to talk. You've done something wrong. Okay. I'm toast. Now, I'm not upset. I'm upset. I'm just kind of surprised. I'm a ticking time bomb of volcanic fury. Because you forgot about yesterday? Because you are a moron of epic proportions. Yesterday. Yesterday. I'm toast. Yesterday was the 15th anniversary of our first official date. Oh, that's right. I remember. I have no memory of that. Do I need to get some flowers or something? No. Yes. Are you sure? Yes. No. Are you mad? No. Yes. You'll remember next year. I will. I won't. So how do you like the casserole? It's, um... It's a new flavor. Tastes like the devil ate a skunk sandwich and vomited in my mouth. That's my mom's favorite recipe. I grew up on that. Might as well slap my mother in the face. Well, you know I would never do that. You know I think your mother's wonderful. Actually, I think your mother's a... So... Want to have sex? How was your day? Want to have sex? Exhausting. Don't even think about it, you sex maniac. Exhausting, huh? Want to have sex? Exhausting. I'd rather rub broken glass in my eyes. Do you want to cuddle? Want to cuddle for two seconds, then have sex? My head hurts. You lay one finger on me, and I'll beat you with this lamp, you filthy McNasty. Okay. Good night. How about now? You want to have sex now? series called weird because normal isn't working and we're talking about how if we want what normal people have we do what what normal people do three people been here if you want what normal people have you do what there you go if you want what few people have which is the marriage that god wanted you to have the relationships god wants you to have then you do what what few people do. And so Jesus said this, this road that leads to destruction is wide and normal people on it. The majority of people are on that road to hell, the road to destruction. And then narrow is this road that leads to life, the type of life that God wants us to have. And very few people are on there. So we're going to look at a little bit different statement today on your listening guide. Jesus said there's two roads. So on the first road, it, it's filled with people pleasers. First road is filled with people pleasers. That's the normal road. The other road is very narrow. The road that leads to the life you've always wanted is filled with God pleasers. Jesus said there's very few people on that road because they don't understand what it means to, to please God. And really, God says that, that loving Him means obedience to Him. Jesus boiled it down. He said, if you love me, you'll obey my teaching. And my Father will love you, reveal himself to you. He'll come to you if you obey. Obedience equals love is what Jesus said. Now, there's this book out that I heard about, and it's called The Need to Please. And the author actually argues that people-pleasing is a form of addiction. Similar to drug addiction where folks are looking for drugs, people-pleasers are seeking approval. So people-pleasing is this, uh, this addictive attitude. And here are her, this author has four characteristics of people-pleasers. I want you to, to listen to these and see if you relate to them. Number one is a tendency to take criticism personally. Anyone? Yeah. Number two, a constant fear of rejection from those around them. Anybody, anybody in that boat? 
Number three, difficulty in expressing their true feelings. I don't even like to admit I have feelings. So how can I express, express my true feelings if I don't have them? Number four, reluctance to say no, even when it's clear you should say no. Anybody relate to one or more of those? How, how many of you relate to all four? Come on, come on, be real, be wrong. Okay. Now, if so, here's the danger. Here's the bad thing. If you relate to one or more of those, that means you are in danger of getting on the people pleaser road that leads to a hell on earth. And if you don't know Christ, it leads to an eternal damnation in hell. That's the destination of this wide road. Jesus said it leads to destruction. And so we got to figure out how not to be people pleasers. And, um, the irony is that when we compromise our values, when we try to um, please other people, they actually begin to um, disrespect us. If they know we'll do anything in our power to appease them or not to have conflict with them or just to make them happy, eventually most people, normal people, will begin to take advantage of us. They will disrespect us because we're going to do anything. We're a chameleon and they know it. The other side of that, though, is if you will stick up for your convictions, if you will put God at, at the highest, for example, Tim Tebow does it all the time. People either love Tebow or hate him, but everybody on both sides respect him because he's a man who stands for what he believes in. And so if you will, if you will put God first and stand for God no matter what, people will very often respect you even if they don't agree with you. Now, this people-pleasing thing, it was, it was rampant in Jesus' day. The most religious people around were called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were known for acting religious but not being righteous on the inside. They had all the rules. They followed the rules, but they didn't have the right attitudes. Now, these guys, they wore these long, flowing robes. And, and God had said in the Old Testament to wear the word of God on your forehead and, and, and on your shoulders. And so what they did, they took that literally. They actually had these tassels that would hang off of their robes. And they would have these little boxes on the end of them called phylacteries. And these things, they would put um, some scripture in there, little verses. And they would wear them on the ends of their tassels. And they would wear them across their forehead to show how spiritual they were. Doesn't that sound like fun? Let's do that next week. Let's wear some boxes on our foreheads that contain words of scripture. It was a joke because they weren't following the scripture that they wore, but they wanted everyone to think they were religious. These guys were known for praying these long, wordy prayers to prove to everyone around them their religiosity. They were known for all kinds of things like this. They bragged about fasting because fasting was a proof of their spirituality. And when they gave an offering, oh my goodness, they had big wooden boxes at the back of the temple and you would go and you would pour your money in there. And I have no doubt that the Pharisees were the ones that made sure everything was changed, not the paper money, because they wanted to make a scene and it'd be loud and everybody know how spiritual they were because they were making this offering. The Pharisees were obsessed with public opinion, but it wasn't enough just to want others to approve them. They were like the mean girls at school who, who not only wanted you to be like them, if you weren't like them, though, they attacked you ruthlessly. And so I want you to see what was going on in Jesus' day in John chapter 12, verse 42. Even then, even then when Jesus was still walking the earth, he was still teaching, many Jewish authorities believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not talk about it openly so as not to be expelled from the synagogue. They loved human approval rather than the approval of God. We look at that and we, we kind of scratch our heads and we go, why would somebody do that? 
Well, you got to understand, excommunication from the church was a very, very big deal. Not only did it mean that you could no longer, if you're excommunicated, you could no longer attend that church, but it meant that anyone who attended that church could no longer associate with you at all. They couldn't greet you in the streets. They couldn't eat with you. They couldn't have you in their home. It was as if you were dead to them. And so these, these people wanted to come to Jesus secretly But they wanted the approval of all the good Jews and the Pharisees publicly. So they wanted the best of both worlds, like Hannah Montana. Just thought I'd throw that in there, see if you're awake. I won't sing it for you. Now, who would be so dumb as to profess to follow God privately, but pretend they don't know God publicly? And the short answer is normal. People do it every day. It's normal to do that. Let's play a game. Let's see, let's see if, if you can identify with any of these things. We're going to play a game called Have You Ever? I'm going to ask you a series. Just got a couple of questions here. I'm going to say, have you ever? And you're going to acknowledge whether you've done this or not. Have you ever done something you knew you shouldn't do because you wanted to be popular? A few of us. You wanted approval? How about just that? Not even popular, but approval? Okay. Have you ever felt pressure to conform to a certain lifestyle... When you're around people that you really, really admire. For example, if they drive certain types of cars, you feel like you have to drive that car. If they wear certain kinds of clothes, you feel like you have... Just because they are people you admire. Anyone? Have you ever done that? A few of us? Okay. Have you ever compromised your beliefs simply because it was easier to keep your mouth shut than it was to stand up for your conviction? Anyone? Okay. The bad news is... If you've done any of those, you're normal, and you're a people pleaser, and you're a hypocrite. Welcome to new life, because honestly, we all admit that we're hypocrites. You know, if people say, I'm not going to that church because it's filled with hypocrites. Yes, we are. You are. You will blend in here if you're a hypocrite. Now, we're not wanting to stay hypocrites. That's why we open up God's word every week. That's why we worship together. But we are a bunch of hypocrites, and that's normal. Now, if you've ever been a normal people-pleasing hypocrite, then here's the problem. People are too big in your life, and God is too small. People have this position of power in your life, and God does not have a position at all in your life. And, And as always, the answer to your problems and mine is in the Bible. Psalm 34, 9. You who belong to the Lord, fear Him. Those who fear him will have everything they need. See, normal people are more afraid of what people think than what God thinks. So Jesus knows this when he's walking the earth. He just doesn't mince word at all, words at all. In, in Matthew chapter 10, he says this. Don't be afraid of whom? People. people. They can kill you and, and you're going, well, that's, yeah, I want to be afraid of that. But he says there's a deeper issue. They can kill you, but they cannot harm your soul. Instead, you should fear God who can destroy both your body and your soul in hell. Holy cow. Jesus is saying, whoa, 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 pay attention, pay attention. This physical body is temporary. Even if a person takes your life, the only thing that you are going to leave behind is this physical body. The Bible says we get a new body in heaven and it'll be like Jesus Christ and when he resurrected from the dead. And it was an incredible body. Jesus Christ could walk through walls. He didn't have to open doors. Jesus could eat because he wanted to, not because he had to. That's awesome. I want one of those types of bodies that it doesn't matter what I eat and when I eat. I can just do it because I want to. 
Your spiritual body, the Bible says, lasts forever. And the only one who can destroy your spiritual body is God. So you better, you better pay attention to Him. Which one should have more power in your life? The one that can destroy your, your physical body and your spiritual body or the one who can only destroy your physical body? Which one should have more power? Yeah, both. Try Thank you. This is so good. I can't believe we haven't done this before. Oh, wow, look at that. On a bike. You're aging. Do the jingle. Do the jingle. Like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. Hey, guys. Do it again. Do it again. Like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. In my office. State Farm. I think we're good. Now. Let's say you're in a dangerous situation. You can try what these guys did. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Didn't work, did it? Right? We like those commercials. We think they're funny. But what if? What if you knew the one who created those buffaloes? What if you could say to the one who created the buffaloes, uh, I need some help here. And what if he would cause those buffaloes to go somewhere else? And you're going, yeah, come on. Well, actually, there's, there's a story in the Bible if you change the buffaloes into something even more dangerous called lions. There was a man named Daniel in the Old Testament who feared God more than anything. He feared God so much that he, raised, he was raised up by God to the second highest position in, in the kingdom of Babylon. And the king loved him. And, and David, I mean, Daniel would pray three times a day. And, and so some guys didn't like this, that he was a foreigner and he was second in command. And so they, they had the king, they tricked the king into writing this law that said, you can pray to no one other than the king. Because the king is a God, lowercase g. And Daniel was like, uh, no, I've got to pray to the only God, the, the uppercase capital G, the only true God. And so he would get down in his room three times a day and face Jerusalem because he was in exile. He would face Jerusalem, pray out his window. And so these guys saw him one day and they, they tricked the king into writing this law. And then when Daniel was caught, he was thrown into the lion's den. The, the king did not want to throw him into the lion's den. And so at that moment when he's thrown into the lion's den, is State Farm, is that who needs to help Daniel? Who's, whose opinion is more important? All those people who wanted to destroy Daniel or God's? At that moment, whose is more important? God's. And so what happens is he's thrown in there and, and I'm going to read you what happened. The king runs out there the next day and he, he opens up the lion's den and he cries out, Daniel 6. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you set, serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. And now, I want you to see what happened to the people who didn't trust God, who trusted in public opinion. Next verse. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had uh, maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. This was a harsh society. The lions leaped on them, tore them apart before they ever hit the floor of the den. It wasn't just that the lions weren't hungry. It's that the God who had created the lions was on the side of his servant who said, Your opinion is more important, God, than man's opinion. So, who defended Daniel? God. Who defended the people who accused Daniel? 
who were ripped limb from limb and died in a terrible, fearful, painful death. Who defended them? No one. So we've got to make a choice. Do we want to please God who can rescue us from anything or do we want to, we want to please people who can rescue us from nothing? Craig Rochelle wrote this in his book, Weird. And he said, think of it this way. If you ride the biggest roller coaster in the world, the kids ride at the county fair won't scare you. If you live through a hurricane and a tornado, a spring rain won't intimidate you. And when you truly know the God of the universe, people's opinions will no longer hold you hostage. Everything that once controlled you quickly loses all its power. Jeff, can you give me a little bit more light? I can't see up here. So weird people, bottom line is weird people fear God more than they fear people. And that enables them to have weird courage. And this is what I want to talk to you about. Three types of courage that you and I need if we're going to be successful in this life. First is spiritual courage. Now, I've, I've been in, in this business a long time, 29 years, I guess now, that I've, I've been a minister, either youth minister, 10 years here at, at New Life. This, this June, we celebrate 10 years as a church. Woohoo! Is that it? Really? All right. And in my 29 years of, of working with people, I've heard a lot of arguments about why people don't come to Christ. And, and one of the ones that really gets under my skin is when they say, Christianity is for weak people. Christianity, religion, is a crutch for people who aren't strong enough to handle the ups and downs of life on their own. And, um, and, and I have to scratch my head because I think, you know, even to come to Christ, even to do what these folks did today, requires some courage. Because the Bible says that when you want to be adopted into God's family, you come before a holy God. A holy God means there is no sin in him. And every time in the Old Testament, New Testament, when an angel, not even God himself, when an angel showed up, he shone so brightly that you know what people did? They hit the deck in fear. Some of them almost died. They were so afraid. And the first word of the angel, the angelic being would be, do not be afraid. This other world is so different from ours. That when you see God, you won't stand up and point your finger in his face. We were reading about Job. When God finally showed up and, and talked to Job, and, and, and Job was going, I would ask God this, and I would ask God this. And so God shows up and he goes, hey, Job, tell me. When I spoke the words and the stars were put in the heavens and held in place, where were you? When I created the world, where were you? When I created the animals, and, and, and all of a sudden Job goes, I have spoken once and I will speak no more. You know, And he was covering up his mouth. He's going, I have messed up. See, to come to a holy God and to say, God, I've lied, I've cheated, I've cursed my neighbor, and, and if I'm going to be honest, God, I've cursed you. I've been unfaithful. Some of us need to confess that we've been unfaithful to our spouses. Some of us need to confess that we've, we've stolen, we've, we've done things that we were not supposed to do. In order to, to be adopted into God's family, it takes courage to come to a holy God and to admit those things. And when I tell people that, some people, some people look at me because God's worked in their hearts and some people will drop their heads. This happened a couple of weeks ago. Some people dropped their heads and they said, you're right. That's me. You're describing me. And I'm tired of living this type of life. And so they cried out to a holy God and they asked him to cleanse them from sin. The way we say it here is ask him to forgive our sins and be the leader of our life. And when we do that, when someone humbles themselves, the Bible says you are adopted into God's family. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, which means when you die on this earth, you spend eternity with God in heaven. 
I love it when I'm at a funeral and the person has done that because I say, this isn't goodbye, this is, a, this is see you later. But other people, when I tell them that you've got to be that open and that, that honest, they go, you're crazy. I'm not comfortable saying those things out loud. If I were to tell you what goes through my mind, if I were to tell you my attitudes, if I were to tell you some things that I've done, it would, it would be too embarrassing. I, I can't do that. I can't give up that type of control. It'd be just too uncomfortable. I can't do it. And way too many, way too many people cave into that type of thinking. So when they look at their lives, even though they know they're bad, they don't want to admit how bad. So what they do, instead of admitting how bad they are, they look around for someone else to compare themselves to. Well, I know I've made a few mistakes, but I'm not as bad as Mary. Have you seen Mary? Oh, she's bad. But I'm up here. I'm basically a moral person. I'm basically good. Yesterday there was a funeral and this place was packed. And uh, they, were, they were talking about, you are not good enough. Nothing you do is good enough. And they started listing things. They said, this isn't good enough to get you to heaven. This isn't good enough to get you to heaven. You are not good enough. You will go to hell with all the normal people if you trust in your goodness to get you into heaven. If your thinking is, I can't, I can't admit those things to God if that's you. I have a message for you today. Bottom line is you're gutless. Because you know what you should do, but you're, a, you're refusing to do it. And that means you're gutless. So please, if that's you, don't you ever, don't you dare call Christians weak. Because evidently it takes more power and more courage to be, become a Christ follower than it does to go your route. Does that make sense? If it takes tur- courage to, to face Christ and to become a Christian, it takes just as much to continue in the Christian life and to grow. It takes courage to follow when someone else leads. When I was in seminary, we did this game and we blindfolded one person. You had a partner. And my partner was the children's minister at, at our church. We were in Arlington at the time. She was taking the same class that I was in. And so we were partners. And so I went first. Um, I mean, she went first, blindfolded her, and I was to lead her through an obstacle course. So I grabbed her hand and man, we're flying. I just wanted to see how fast the lady would go. And so I'm, I'm almost running and she's trusting me, never squeals, never says anything. And I'm, we got finished and I said, that's awesome. And she goes, yeah, now it's your turn. <laughs> and, and this lady was a big time practical joker. And I mean, she'd done some stuff to me and other staff members. And so I didn't trust her as far as I could throw her. I put my blindfold on and it was like dragging a little kid to the dentist's office when he doesn't want to go. It took us forever to get through this obstacle course because I could just see her run me smack into a telephone pole and laughing, ha ha, idiot, you know, that type of deal. And so I was not going to trust her. She's going, hurry up, you know, as a competition type deal, hurry up. She made fun of me the whole way, called me your woman and all of this stuff. And I was like, I don't care, I don't trust you. And I learned from that exercise that, that man, it's tough to follow somebody else's lead. And, and the Bible says that, that uh, when we follow God, that it's, it's kind of like having a blindfold on. 
Because in First Corinthians, uh, Second Corinthians, chapter five, verse seven, it says we walk by faith, not by sight. And a lot of people say, "Oh, Christians, they have this blind faith." Let me tell you, Christianity is not about blind faith. Christianity knows the obstacles. Christianity knows there's cancer. Christianity knows there's there's these big problems. But we believe that our God is bigger than the problems. And so I look at God, not at the problem. And uh, that doesn't make it any easier, though, when when God asks you to do something that requires faith. If you could see all of the answers, if you could see every step you're supposed to take, then it, ha- it requires no faith whatsoever. But look what the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 6. Always let God lead you. And I love this translation. This is the contemporary English version. It says, and he will clear the road for you to follow. Now that makes sense to me. I can't see tomorrow, but God can. And so I follow him and he's going to clear the path for me to go. Following Jesus requires lots of courage because many times his leading sound illogical. Two years ago when we decided to go to Haiti, I'd never been before, and I just kind of threw that out. And some of y'all said, wow, we think we need to go to Haiti. We feel called to go to Haiti. And so we had this group of 12 people who said they were going to go. And I had to go to a wedding the night before we were leaving. I'm in, I'm in Austin, get a phone call, and all kinds of stuff is going on. At the last minute, all these people started saying, wow, th- have you heard about this? Have you heard about this? This stuff's going on there. You, you are going to be in danger. Not only could you get sick, there are riots going on, and you could die if you go to Haiti. This is the night before we're leaving. We have to be at the airport the next morning at 6 a.m. And so... You know, my head was kind of spinning. I still remember walking on this this big old um, deck overlooking Lake Travis, uh, where the wedding happened, and and I just scratched my head, and and so I prayed a little bit, and I said, I said, God, am I supposed to go? And I really felt like God say, Yes, I told you you're supposed to go. And I started thinking back um, when I first mentioned it. Caleb had told me he wanted to go, and and so I said, Well, you really need to pray about this. Don't go because it's the cool thing to do. You need to know that God's called you. And I still remember the Sunday we got home from church. We're sitting in in the living room at home, and he said, Dad, it happened today. I said, What? And he said. I feel like God called me to go to Haiti. And I said, yes. And I said, guess what? I didn't tell you this. Your way's already been paid. A friend of mine had said, if, if Caleb feels God's calling him to go, I'll pay for him to go. But I didn't tell him that. I wanted him to make that decision first. And he was like, cool. And so I told folks on our team, because this, this was a spiritual struggle. I told folks on our team. I'm going to Haiti tomorrow and I'm taking my 14-year-old son with me because God has called me to go. And the bottom line is, did God call you to go? Because if God calls you to go, then my protection is up to him. Daniel in the lion's den, the same God went before us to Haiti, protected us while we were in Haiti, never once saw, heard, sniffed any danger other than the rainstorm. That was kind of interesting. But even in that, I was praying, and as we prayed, as I prayed, the car moved out of this flooding river. Nothing compared to lions, right? Every year, and and there's another church that's thinking of going with us this year, and uh, one of my best friends, his church, and he called me the other day and goes, hey man, I'm hearing this and this and this and this, and I said, dude, bottom line, is, is God calling you to go? Because he's going to protect us. He said, well, this friend said, I said, has he ever been to Haiti? And he's been once. And he went to a different area than we went. And he saw some things. And he was freaked out by them. And where we go, we're not, we're not going into danger. We're going staying in a church, working at a church, attending churches, going to orphanages where they have walls and where they have guards. But I've never seen any. any we've walked through crowds of Haitians. And they look at you like you're crazy because you, you stick out. 
blanc is white. And they call you white. Hey, white. Hey, white. That's me. But, but we've seen those folks come out and help us when we do work. They realize we're there for them. It's incredible. The bottom line is, does God call you to do something? If he does, he is going to protect you. We walk by faith and not by sight. So Jesus is going to call you to get off the normal road, and it's going to require some faith. It's going to take some courage to obey. Cowards do not last in the kingdom of God because it's too hard. Now, that's spiritual courage, relational courage. You know what it takes to build a great marriage? Courage. Intimacy. How many of you guys like that word, intimacy? I didn't say who likes sex. I said who likes intimacy. There's a difference. It takes an enormous amount of, in, of courage to, to look your spouse in the eye and say, this is who I am. I'm not always proud of it, and I'm, I'm sometimes embarrassed by who I am, but this is me. It takes so much courage to look at your spouse and to say, we have a serious problem in our marriage. And if we don't do something now, we will not have a marriage. That takes courage. Normal people, they throw their energy into work or kids, anything other than doing the hard work it takes to do to make their marriage work. So courageous people say, let's fight, let's do anything. Let's resist the greener grass syndrome, which is rampant in our country, and let's do whatever it takes to make this marriage work. Because all the time I have people say, well, I think maybe I married the wrong person. No, when you said I do before God, that became the right person. Maybe if you change, you'll have a new spouse. Quit expecting them to change. You become the weird, unbelievable follower of Christ and watch what God does in your marriage. You'll have a new marriage. Because number one, you'll be a new spouse. And your spouse, whether you're the, the, the wife or the husband, your spouse will change because they'll see the supernatural power of God working in your life. That's how you have the type of marriage God wants you to have. And it takes courage. And let me say, this just isn't, it, courage just isn't for husband and wife. I see way too many parents that let their kids be punks because it's easier to let them be punks than it is to bust their little tails. And, and so many parents are afraid of their kids going, I hate you. Let me tell you what I would do and what I have done if I heard one of my children say, I hate you. My immediate response is, you're about to hate me more because I'm going to bust your little butt and drive that attitude right back to the pit of hell. And then I say, bend over. In our house, there's a, you go into your, your bedroom. This is where you got swats. You go into your bedroom, you put your hands on the bed and you look at the wall. And I lit you up. I didn't do any, any, there wasn't any abuse. One or two swats got the point across. When Caleb was little, he was probably three or four. I don't remember what it was. One time, Janie, he would fight Janie. He'd never fought me, but he would fight Janie. She would, she would bend him over and she'd wrap this leg over and she'd take the ping pong paddle and she'd swat him. Well, Janie's not a very big girl. And so one time she did that and she's holding him down. She goes, what? You know, gets what? And he goes, that didn't hurt. And so fire in her eyes, she swatted him again. He goes, that didn't hurt. So she calls me. And she said, you need to come home. And I said, yes. And she told Caleb, daddy's going to light you up when he gets home. And so we talked about it and I lit him up. And uh, he cried. <laughs> and, and I asked him one time, I said, I said, how come you never say those things to me? He said, because yours hurt. And he used to ask. It was like he wanted to know how bad... I'm sorry, man. I'm just... Where is he? Where'd he go? 
It's just like he, you know, I'm, he may be working in the back. Um, I'm telling all Caleb's stories today, but he would get, when he was little, he would be bending over and he'd go, Dad, is this going to hurt? And I'd go, dude, we're wasting our time if it doesn't. Yes, it's going to hurt because I want you to remember this. So many parents are afraid of this distance in a relationship. So they try to be friends with their kids. You need to look at that child and say, dear offspring of mine, you will not intimidate me. You dis, uh, disrespected me. You rebelled against me. And so it is right that I discipline you. Not, not beatings, not abuse. It is right that I discipline you. Spoil the rod, uh, spare the rod, spoil the child. That's exactly right. When I was a child, I feared being spanked. And so if I knew a spanking was coming, I acted right. If I thought I was going to get out of it, I was a punk. And y'all know I'm right. So it takes courage to be the person, the parent that God wants you to be. It takes courage to be the friend that God wants you to be. Because sometimes, men, let's just be honest. Sometimes we need to look at one another and say, Hey, dude, maybe it's time we quit talking about sports and the weather. And we talk about some stuff that's really important. And a lot of guys will run from that. They'll think you're crazy. But brothers are built in those types of relationships. I'm talking lifelong friendships where you can come to somebody and say, man, I see this in you and it's good. Sometimes I see this in you and and I'm worried about your future. That takes courage. Don't tell me that following Christ is for the weak. One last thing is the moral courage. Operating ethically in the real world takes courage, doesn't it? Because a lot of times you're pressured to do things that are unethical. Being a moral politician is an oxymoron. In fact, we're going to do a series when we get a little bit closer to the, uh, to the election this year called Politicked. Because I'm just tired of the lack of morals. And I want you to see what God's word says about the people that we vote for. We need to find the the moral rocks of society. And I don't know where they are. I'm not telling you I have those answers. I think some of them are right here in this room. I think you are tired of doing life the way you've done it. And you want to live a different type of life. And so some of you are going to be the ones who stand up. Teenagers, it takes a tremendous amount of courage to be sexually pure in a sex-crazed world. But let me tell you, sex before marriage will complicate your life. I say this over and over again. And if you will wait, it will not be easy. But if you will wait, it will be so worth it on your wedding night. And I'm going to tell you to marry someone who's a virgin. They're out there. And I'm going to tell you that God's not going to waste your purity on someone who's not pure. So he has someone out there. Just wait on his timing. It takes a lot of conviction to stick, a lot of courage to stick to your convictions. I heard about a girl one time, she was being teased because she was um, a virgin. Everybody knew she was a virgin, they were making fun of her. And finally she had enough of it and she turned around and she said, Look, I can become like you anytime I want to, but you can never become like me. I took some courage. Y'all can use that. When people call you weird, when they call you old-fashioned, they call you out of touch, it takes courage to stand up for what you believe in. 
Well, how do we become courageous people? First, you've got to face your fears. I mean, just be honest. As you face your fears, little by little, they begin to lose power over you. And those fears no longer then are stumbling blocks. They actually become building blocks to make you a better person. Look at anybody who's conquered a fear and they'll tell you, it took me a while, but once I conquered it, I stepped to a higher type of living. Second thing is you've got to surround yourself with good models of courage. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, I've quoted this for years. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. If you spend time with spineless people, you'll become a spineless person. We become like the people we hang out with. So if you hang out with compromisers, quitters, people who cave in, people who play it safe in their daily routine, then you will become just like them. But if you want to grow into this weird type of courage, then you need to to surround yourselves with people who are courageous spiritually and morally. You need to read about Moses and Daniel and Esther and Paul, who though they were petrified in the scriptures, they obeyed God and God used them to do incredible things. And they grew in their faith. And stories are still being told thousands of years later about, about them. Here's the thing. Stories are being told about you right now. The question is... Are they stories of courage or are they stories about your compromise? Stories are already being written about you. They'll be passed on from generation to generation. You have a choice to make. Is it going to be a story that I had courage, weird courage, and lived the life that God wanted for me? Or was I just like everyone else? Would you bow your heads? Father, we need some folks who would be a little bit different. Because our children are not seeing models of courage. And it's no wonder our society is going the pathway to hell. Because we're leading them there. The people who call themselves Christ followers are doing it secretly. It's about time some of us went public. So Father, stir in the hearts of your people. And call them to make a difference for all eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.